Welcome to the Mortcast, presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Um, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wanzee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the, of the dairy block. If you're like me and you like wine um, and you like just chilling out with people who enjoy wine, uh, Blanchard really is your place. They got uh, their own vineyard in Sonoma County, which thankfully has not been destroyed by a fire like half of Colorado currently has been. And it's going to, it, it will, if you go out, you, you'll have a good time in the dairy block, which is one of the best places to go in Denver, socially distance, you call, make a reservation and you are well away from other people. It's a great place to just to have a great vibe and great wine. Uh, Pinot, uh, Cabernet, they have Rieslings with a partnership from Western Slope Wineries, a couple of them, and they're all both really good. I don't really like Riesling, but I had one the last time I was in there uh, a while ago, and it was really good. Storm Cellar. It was, I, I highly suggest checking that out. Um, anyway, it's my favorite place to go in Denver, and uh, I highly suggest you check it out. Once again, they are located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wanzee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. You can find them online at bfwdenver.com. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. Additionally, I'd like to talk to you about my friends at Exto Event Center. Yes, my friend Andy Feinstein owns this place. Uh, he would like you, all of you who listen to the Morecast, to know that he has uh, space available for any gathering that you uh, will choose to have. Uh, please support our friends at Exto Event Center, located in Denver's vibrant Rhino Arts District. Uh, Exto Event Center can safely host a socially distanced event for up to 25 to 175 persons outdoors and up to 100 persons indoors. If you're interested in hosting an event or, or a corporate gathering, fundraiser, client appreciation, birthday, anniversary party, or just a morale boosting happy hour, which I'm, I'm sure we all need right now, Exto would welcome the opportunity to be part of it. Please visit extoevents.com for more information and book your private event today. Okay, after all of that, I would like to introduce you to my guest. Uh, today, it is the site manager for Den my old haunt, the Denver Stiffs, um, a man who has put in some really good work this last year, getting uh, Denver Stiffs to where he is a really great place. Um, I obviously always read my own old site quite frequently, and uh, my, well, yeah, let the cat out of the bag. Ryan Blackburn is my guest today. Hello, Ryan. <laughs> Completely botched Hi Jeff, how are you? I completely. It's okay. Hey, honestly, like it's it's a it's a good time of day to really do this. We just got off the phone with Michael Malone and and the Nuggets, and so we're yeah we're getting kind of into that frame, getting into that that playoff mentality right now. And I've I've been working my tail off over at Denver Stiffs. The rest of the site has been really popping off lately, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of writers have been been putting in a lot of great work so we wouldn't be able to do any of that without you though so there's there's zero way any of this happens without you andy nate the entire crew that that preceded us beforehand adam as well uh so again thank you for having me on my first time on csg and yeah. hopefully not the last i i i had justin michael from dnvr on uh, last week and i was like it's the first time you've been on uh, CSG and there's going to be a lot of people 
because of COVID, I can actually talk to people now via Zoom. And uh, Ryan, who I'm talking to right here, uh, gl gladly showed me how to do it, which uh, was a lot more simple than I thought it would be. So um, <laughs> thank you for doing that. And you know, I tried. I, I, I tried to tell him, hey, it, it really is a simple process. Just let me, let me guide you through the steps. And I have no doubt that when I set him out the step-by-step the -step process for how to record a Zoom call, he read those steps and thought to himself, oh, man, if I only opened up the app and tried it myself, I probably could have figured I, uh, it out. Yeah, I could have done that. And I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm recording this on an HP laptop, right? So I, um, uh, I, I just, it was one of those things where I like, and, until I do it, I don't know if I actually can. So sure. I, uh, I, I appreciate your help there, Orion. You did a great job. And, and uh, on the site, let's kind of go with uh, what's up with Denver Steps. Obviously, we're going to get into the Nuggets playoff, which is the why we have this podcast today. We're going to talk about the Nuggets playoff preview and uh, just kind of get into what's been going on. There was some news that came down today that I want to go over with Ryan. Uh, but I kind of want to ask, like, you have been uh, in charge of Denver Stiffs now for almost a year, I think. Um, yeah. And what what has been your experience? I mean, obviously, running a site is a lot different from writing on it. And you kind of had to do a trial by fire. So uh, what has been your experience? Uh, that, is, that is a very open-ended question. And I really like that because uh, I never expected this year to happen. That's for sure. There yeah. were... There were a lot of different events this year that, that kind of made this a lot more difficult than I think it needed to be. Uh, COVID being the, the first one. I remember mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant's death being yep. one of the main prevalent events from this year that you kind of had to navigate as a site and as a site manager that, that there are just certain things that you can't really prepare for. And that's, that's one of the things that I, I, really, I really started to take from this process that, hey, Adam, Nate, Andy – all of you guys who came before me had to navigate a lot of these issues in the past and being able to do so and lead and not just, not just panic and, and try to figure things out on the fly, but also kind of keep your composure through a lot of these things. When you have pressure from a team like the Nuggets, from the NBA, from SB Nation, from a lot of different places that there are so many ways that you could be derailed but to keep a calm and cool mind and also continue to motivate, it's a really challenging task. And I think I've done it pretty well, but I know that there are things that I could have improved along the way. So that's yeah. hindsight is 2020 to be fair, but I, I think that this, this year with trial by fire, I hope I never have a year quite like this one going forward. Well, obviously Oh, you're going to have, it, it was an extraneous event that really kind of threw everyone for an absolute loop and no one could blame anyone for trying to navigate your way through something like that. And I kind of want to get into that in a, in a second. Um, I, you know, Andy, Nate and I had to run stiffs through uh, the, the melodrama, the Carmelo Anthony trade, which was right. weird, which was, which was, in my experience, it was one of the weirdest times, but it, it was also one of the most exhilarating times because that's really where Denver stiffs grew a lot. And uh, it was one of those, as you were just talking about, trial by fire. I mean, it's really hard to um, go through something that is so dramatic as well. And there's been several things, that, as you explained this year, you had Kobe's uh, um, tragic death. 
um, and you've got all this happening with COVID, it's just it's so hard to navigate through all that and keep an appropriate perspective because uh, I know there were times during the melodrama where I was like, I started to like literally hate the East Coast of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Absolutely. <laughs> because we had a bunch of people from Nets Daily. It wasn't, it wasn't posting and toasting. It was Nets Daily. And they were all up in the site all the time. And it was, it was just, I, I had to ban people. I had to just get, and, and, and right now the comments aren't what they used to be. Um, because about five, six years ago, maybe even seven years ago, it was peak. Like everyone commented on everything kind of thing. Um, it's, it's not what it used to be because everyone has social media. But I, it's, it's, like I said, it's, it's, I appreciate the work that you have done and uh navigating yourself way through this and i and you look to me and if i may be pay you a compliment you look to me a lot more comfortable than you were say when i saw you at the ping pong thing uh last september uh <laughs> yeah yeah that is true that was that was an event and and i could we could thank andy for helping to put that on at exto that was a lot of fun that was the first time that i really was able to walk out in public and and comport myself as the site manager of Denver Stiffs. And I'm thinking back to it now. It was, it was a frightening experience for me. That was the first time I had ever been invited to an event like that before. And it kind of comes with the title. It comes with the, the ability that the, the precedent that you guys have set forth, but it also comes with an expectation that you have a lot of responsibility to, to be a good voice at some of these things. And and I remember you introducing me to Tim Connolly that night and yeah. me thinking, oh my gosh, what is going to happen right now? And little did I know, hey, Tim Connolly is possibly <coughs> the nicest person of all time. He literally is like, he will get you a beer. No matter what. Like, like he's, he's just a very yeah. comfortable and kind human being. That's and if, if it was, if it was Arturis who were trying to introduce me to, although Arturis is very nice and, and I'm very glad that he got the job in Chicago when he did. But if you had introduced me to Arturis in that same manner, oh my God, I, I might have uh, crumpled into oblivion. <laughs> it's a, it is a, well, Arturis can be intimidating mostly because he's tall and he doesn't talk much, but he's right. a really, really good guy when you get to know he him. He really is. Okay. <laughs> I had okay. to learn that. By the way, public service announcement, and I don't want, I'm speaking for Jeff Morton, not Ryan Blackburn, site manager for uh, um, uh, Denver Stiffs right now, but bloggable, what are you doing? What are you doing? You are better than this. Oh, um, my God. I mean, you don't need, uh, Ryan, you do not have to comment on this. I am just saying, as someone who doesn't, not within the, C- the uh, uh, SB Nation network anymore, Give the man more than two months, for the love of God. Just give the man more than two months. You'd have no idea how he works. Just chill. Okay, that's all I got. Oh, I'll say one thing. <laughs> they fired Jim Boylan. Like, what more do you want from the guy? Let's be honest. <laughs> I just, I, oh, man, I read that stuff, and I knew, I, I was like, who's running Bloggable now? And I used to know the guy. So, who's running it? Who's... <laughs> 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 it probably wasn't fair. Um, but anyway, that's my public service announcement that I, I, I promise not to get Ryan in any more trouble. Um, we are getting into playoff time, people. We are now uh, a day away as of this recording. And uh, Nuggets will be going into their second straight playoffs, which is 
Um, interesting to think about considering they missed it six years in a row. And uh, what an interesting time that has been. Uh, we are obviously in the bubble. And Ryan, what I want to know from you first is but beyond the obviously the Nuggets are going to be playing the Utah Jazz and we'll be talking about some interesting issues that, that, that come out today. But beyond just that, what do you think about bubble playoffs? Because we went through the eight games uh, coming into this. Um, did that give you a different perspective on, on what this will look like going into uh, an NBA playoffs that no one has ever seen before? Does it give you a different perspective on how this can be told off? It's going to be different. That, that I can say. I, I'm not sure yet how we are going to perceive it going forward, just because I think the NBA has done a reasonable job, at least from a TV viewership perspective, of putting together a product that looks almost identical to what they're doing like in the regular season. And the not having fans aspect has been, has definitely been a jarring factor there, but the gameplay, what the players have done, what the coaches have done, what the refs have done. And I'm sure we can, we can talk all, all day about that, but Mark um, Davis. It, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, but what, the actual gameplay has been, has been very representative. I think of what we've seen during the regular season and then approaching the playoff time. I'm, I'm glad that they did the seeding games the way that they did, because it seems like it was a good warm up for what is going to take place in a playoff atmosphere. I don't think we've seen the best NBA basketball yet. And I, I have to imagine that a lot of these players that were playing during the seeding games have a different gear, uh, Nikola Jokic especially. He seems yeah. like a guy who was very comfortable with where he was. Yeah. And he can now turn into the the playoff joker that we know and love. I don't think fans are going to change his perspective there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of different things that I think we're going to see. And, and I think we're going to hear a lot of complaining from the teams that lose. I think we're going to hear a lot of, of – uh, interesting sound bites from these players just after the fact, given that this is a completely different environment, but overall it's basketball. And I think we've heard that sentiment from Damian Lillard who has been excellent and the Blazers who have been just good enough. Uh, But we're going to see, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the product because there are so many different things that are going to come out from it. I think this could be a precedent for this COVID related time that, might spawn a lot of different things going forward. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I'm, I'm, I, uh, okay, let's get get right into the Nuggets because I think the Nuggets proved they could play with anyone, but yeah. uh, the how they approached this this particular uh, set of games, the eight games, was interesting. But if people really were paying attention, they will understand that from the beginning, Michael Malone said they're basically going to treat this like preseason, which is what they did. Uh, They had so many players who were out. People don't understand how hard it is to assemble a team that is only half there. And then by the end of it, you have your team back, but two guys who are key guys are not there. You still really have no idea what this team outside of, I think the starting unit is set. I don't, you really don't know what this team's going to do. Uh, even the people, key rotation players, I don't think they're set in stone. And I think that 
I have a sympathy for the way that Michael Malone and the Nuggets were having to approach those eight seeding games because uh, there is a hell of a lot of uncertainty going into this. Yeah, I definitely feel like if, if everybody was there initially, if they had a situation like the Toronto Raptors where everybody was relatively healthy going into it, everybody was present going into it, mm-hmm. then I think Michael Malone would have approached this in a different way. Uh, he might have eased up on, on the pedal at, at the outset, but the starters would have played three quarters and maybe he would have rotated the starters a little bit more to kind of get a, get a different idea of different lineups he didn't really have that luxury going into this thing. He had the guys that he had and he needed to, they, he knew the Nuggets needed to win some games in order to ensure certain seedings. Uh, but they got the seeding that they wanted by the skin of their teeth. And it also allowed them to compete with the Lakers and the Clippers in those two games that I think you're, you're mostly speaking to. And I think they proved enough with the group that they have down here that they can compete with anybody in order to win versus everybody, though, I, I don't know. I think we're going to need to see some Will Barton, some Gary Harris, and, and maybe some additional improvement from the guys that are down here. Well, it's going to be interesting because, uh, as, I was, as I've been teasing, um, Mike uh, Conley will not be at least at the first game. And maybe I would say it's going to, he'll probably miss the second game, too, based on quarantining. But he had a his wife uh, had a, a, a child, and he's going out to see, obviously, the uh, his family. And sure. but the court, the the process of coming back to the bubble is you've got to isolate and quarantine for a certain amount of time. He's going to be gone for a bit. And how do you think? Because I think it's not necessarily as big a deal as one would think on the outset. I think Mike Conley's been an interesting fit. They're there in Utah. But what do you think, look, from the outside looking in at Utah on this team that the Nuggets are going to play, what do you think about not having Mike Conley there will have, uh, what the effect will have on the, on the Utah Jazz? Well, something that various national guys have really uh, turned my eye to, uh, I'll speak specifically Danny LaRue and uh, Ben Golliver, two national guys who I think know their stuff pretty well. Yeah. Uh, it's not just about having the replacement it's about the replacement of the replacement in terms of these discussions Mm -hmm. and when you talk about the jazz specifically i think fully healthy they're a team that goes seven deep with really quality players you have their Mm -hmm. starting lineup which included conley it it included boyan bogdanovich who's also going to be out uh you've got donovan mitchell rudy gobert Joe Ingles, Royce O'Neal, and then they traded for Jordan Clarkson. And those were the seven guys that I think they envisioned having going into this thing. Now you take away one of those with Boyan and he's out. And so it makes things a lot more difficult. Now they have to play George's Niang, but they also have to play guys like a rookie named Mie Oni, who is from Harvard, who I don't think you would have really expected them to play in a playoff series. Now that you take away Mike Conley, you have to play Emmanuel Moody a certain amount of time in order to just survive mm-hmm. and in order to get through this thing. They, they aren't going to be able to play Donovan Mitchell on average 45 minutes a night or else he's not going to be the Donovan Mitchell that they need to get through a playoff series. So yeah. I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see who they replace those guys with and whether they can fill in the gaps or not because – this jazz team was already pretty shallow in terms of overall talents. They had a good group 
at the top, but some of the guys that they're going to be replacing those starters with, not very good. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, the Nuggets have shown themselves to be full of depth. And uh, sure, this is where the depth comes in. It's not being able to play people. It's being able to replace people. That is where yeah. depth comes in. It's not, it's not about have it going 11 deep and throwing different lineup combinations at people. Uh, as we saw in the playoffs last year with uh, Nikola Jokic and uh, Jamal Murray, the Nuggets' entire offense was them running pick and roll. I mean, that is their entire offense. And right. it really, like, shows you in the playoffs, depth, quote-unquote, doesn't matter unless you're replacing someone. And I, I agree with you in that sense, uh, Ryan, that the, the Jazz just do not have um, the depth. And that is where it's going to kill them because you don't want to rely on Emmanuel Moutier for heavy minutes. You just, you just don't. I, we, we saw that movie right. out here. And uh, he could give you some Boston moments where he can't miss a three. But he also can give you the two-foot shot that turns into a five-foot fadeaway, right? So, obviously, obviously that is what they're relying on. I am not going to say, though, that that is a terminal issue for Utah because of Donovan Mitchell and his ability. Now, when you said that uh, Donovan Mitchell can't play that many minutes, I got to tell you, I didn't think Nikola Jokic could play as many minutes as he played in the playoffs last year, and he <laughs> proved me wrong. I will true, never, true. ever say never. You know, I will never say never on those things because sometimes it happens. Now, I want to ask you about the last time they played the Jazz, which was the uh, double overtime game. Um, sure. What to what do you attribute the Nuggets? Uh, and this kind of goes into the what the Nuggets will be facing uh, in the first round. Um, to what do you attribute the Nuggets' inability to close out in the fourth quarter specifically? Because I think that really is what hampered them from making it a comfortable victory. What what factors do you think did not allow them to close out that game? Well, one of the things, when you look through Denver's clutch statistics, when you look through some of their numbers that they've generated over the course of this season – the thing that really stands out is that their defense tightens up in, in insane amounts during those moments where they come up with steals, they force tough shots, they always get the defensive rebound. Uh, during the course of this bubble, I've actually been a little bit disappointed with the way that they've rebounded the ball defensively. Yeah. That to me seems like something that it, it wasn't an issue before. And, and when you have Paul Millsap on the floor, when you have Will Barton and Gary Harris, Will Barton is an excellent rebounder, but he's also very instinctual. Michael Porter Jr. is not necessarily, like he is an elite rebounder to be clear, but I still think he's a step or a half step behind the play in those situations where he needs to box out, where he needs to make sure that he's doing the team rebounding game as opposed to the individual rebounding performances. Uh, he's always going to be relied upon in these situations to get stops, close out, uh, contest threes, box out, a defensive rebound, and then like make sure to close the door on a, on an opposing team. Yeah. Uh, that is a, a trial that he's going to need to go through and he's going to need to learn how to do that 
I don't think he's learned how to do that yet. It's not all on him to be clear, but he's probably the piece that's been most introduced into the situation that needs to learn these mistakes in order to figure things out going forward. That's one aspect of this. There are a variety of other aspects. I think Denver's offense has been really good. Uh, Their defense in terms of being able to rotate out to three-point shooters in terms of things like that, like they're, they're going to be better in a playoff environment to be clear. I think the jazz also ran hot. Um, Donovan Mitchell specifically. Yeah. Donovan, like he was, he was making some insane shots, something that you cannot sustain unless you're Damian Lillard and he's not Damian Lillard yet. Well, even in the last game, Damian Lillard uh, couldn't sustain that in that last game. That was really, yeah. that was really Carmelo Anthony and uh, uh, T.J. McCollum carrying him through that, that game. A lot of, lot of Game 7 Blazers-Nuggets vibes in that game with C.J. McCollum carrying them down the stretch. I saw that. I saw you mention that on Twitter yesterday. I, I, I was thinking the same thing, too. Yeah. But uh, back to the Nuggets in Utah. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and give my prediction. I think the Nuggets in six. Um, I think I don't think it'll go seven. Uh, I think the Nuggets will just muddle their way through. I'm not worried about the Gobert uh, Jokic mac- matchup. I think Nikola has proven in the last year that really was Derek Favors that was the problem, and uh, he can he knows how to deal with uh, Rudy Gobert. I think where I am uh, wondering is. You're going to try to put Tory Craig on Donovan Mitchell. And where the Nuggets will, I think, kind of have to find their way is they used to be able to put two guys on Donovan Mitchell, Gary Harris and uh, Tory Craig. And having only one of those guys available, because let's face it, Will Barton and uh, uh, Gary for Harris are not walking through that door anytime soon. Right. Um, is going to be, that's more of my concern because, Craig is such a minus on offense at times that if he is not rolling on defense, uh, it really hurts the rest of the team. And, but they don't have any other real perimeter guys like that, like they do with the Gary Harris. And that's where my concern lies, specifically right there. I think the Nuggets can muddle through and find their way. And they'll, if they need to outscore, they'll outscore. But it's that issue that is the one that bugs me the most. Two guys that I would point to in terms of potentially stepping up into that role are Jamal Murray and Jeremy Grant. Uh, they have the length and the physicality on the perimeter in order to be a problem at times. For a guy like Mitchell, who is more six one, six two in that range, mm-hmm. I've been really impressed with Jamal Murray's defense in the bubble. I think that that's one of the things with him and his his return that has really stood out to me that he's giving great effort on that end. And there are times where when he's facing bigger players, like Kawhi Leonard, like a LeBron James, where he's not backing down. There were, there are a lot of moments before when in, in previous seasons where he was posted up by those guys and really wasn't a factor in any way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is different in that he's lightning quick and has, has great quick twitch and he can rise up in any way. Uh, but the Nuggets are going to be in a situation, like you said, where they may have to go to a more offensive lineup without Torrey Craig in order to keep pace with what the Jazz are doing. So yeah. 
Jeremy Grant is another guy. And the reason why I bring him up specifically is because the Nuggets, I don't think they're scared of any of the forwards that the Jazz have now. With Bogdanovich out, they don't need Jeremy Grant to defend Boyan Bogdanovich. They can switch him onto Donovan Mitchell and use him as a lengthy perimeter defender who can stay with Donovan Mitchell on the perimeter uh, and, and can also contest him because he's six foot nine. Yeah. Uh, those are two guys that I would point to, but you're absolutely right that if Torrey Craig is out there, it provides a lot of other issues for the Nuggets offensively that they're going to need to figure out. They're going to need to get creative with where they put Torrey Craig. They're going to need to get creative with how, how they use him and, you know, in the end, he's just going to have to make shots in order to sustain his ability to be on the floor because so far he hasn't. And I think Denver has put themselves into some situations where they, they would be better off without him, despite the fact that he's by far their best option. I always keep coming back to Torrey Craig, and I think and people think I'm being unfair to him when I call him uh, Michael Malone's Anthony Carter. But in a sense, I think that it's – it's not necessarily him, but it is, you could tell Nikola Jokic dies a little inside every time he passes out to him and he misses a three Um, and a wide open three, because let's face it, nobody's guarding him. And that is where I'm like, okay, where does the balance exist? Because when he came into the playoffs, came into the line, and I was a big advocate for inserting Torrey into the starting lineup uh, in the playoffs last year against San Antonio, primarily because uh, Will Barton was just uh, he was he was just non-existent. I mean, he, he was, was missing gone. It. He was he, he was, was gone at that point. Off. There was, there yeah. was no way of getting him back at that point. And what was happening is the Nuggets were getting bullied, um, and you needed a guy who could stand up defensively like that. And which I, I think fan. I worked fantastically with that, but I think the dynamic has shifted a bit. You got Michael Porter Jr. out there who's going to be your small forward. And the Nuggets are fundamentally right. not the same team. And that is where that is where it bugs me because like your starting two is going to be Tory Craig. And um what are you going to do if he's just not hitting anything? And he's out there a lot in those lineups where it's him. And uh, MPJ's out, and he's out there with Mason Plumley, and uh, like that. And you're like, where's this going to come from? Where's this offense going to come from? There, do any of those concerns translate to you, or do you think that the Nuggets have enough to compensate with that? Uh, I think the starters are going to play enough, and I think that Jamal Murray is going to stagger with the second unit, or Michael Porter will stagger with the second unit to try and make some of those concerns go away. However, I would be lying if I told you that I didn't have concerns that sometimes the second unit doesn't necessarily go through those guys in order to generate offense. It's a lot of Mason Plumlee. It's a lot of Monte Morris. Those guys are comfortable passing to Torrey Craig, despite the fact that they probably shouldn't be in some of those cases. So I I am concerned. I think that the minutes without Jokic on the floor are by far the most concerning for any Nuggets fan. It's yeah. just, that's always been what's killed them. That's like, you always come back to it. That's been the worst part of the bubble so far in terms of their plus minus is when Jokic sits, they struggle. It's yeah. unequivocal. There is no way to get around that. And the fact that I think they rely on Mason Plumley a lot for what they do and they have to stop doing that because it's not working and they're, they're going to figure that out and it's going to be hard. And I hope they don't figure it out too late because 
that's probably what lost them the playoffs last year was they didn't have any offense to go to when Nikola Jokic sat. They tried Mason Plumlee in that role consistently, and it didn't work. And it was dire. Um, I don't think I don't I don't necessarily believe Bull Bull is going to get substantial minutes. I think he'll get right about what he was getting spot duty basically i think that okay. if he if he gets in that's just the way i envision it i don't know if necessarily the coaching staff is going to trust bull to the extent that they need to particularly with michael malone constantly hand-wringing about the defense but i will say this i think the nuggets defensive issues are a little bit overblown considering they did not they only had a set lineup in three games i mean and Same. i i think that once you get into a playoff situation where you know your rotation, it's going to be a lot easier to get your team defense. And this is really what the Nuggets need. It isn't individual defense. It's team defense needs to be better. They need to be playing on a string better. And when you have a consistent lineup, you can do that because your communication is better. And I, I think I said it on Twitter. I think people are overblowing the defensive thing. It's just the Nuggets just haven't had consistency and once they do, because Jamal uh, didn't even come in until later, and uh, you had Monte Morris get in, like, right before the, the, the seeding game started. Um, right. yeah. it, it's just – and then, like, the last three games, they, they were barely playing any of the starters, you know, well, particularly in the fourth quarter. So I don't – I just – I'm not worried about that. I don't think that is as big a deal. Do you perceive that the same way I do? I do, and and – I definitely think the team defense and being able to communicate those rotations is, is certainly clear. Uh, one of the things that I can't really point to in terms of Denver's defense is I don't think there's any weak point. Yeah. I, don't, I don't see a player in the rotation who is actively being bad defensively. I would have thought it was Michael Porter Jr., but in this last game against Toronto where Porter rested – the Raptors shot 51% from three still and with their scrubs most of the time. So it, to me, it's, it's really difficult to point to any one person and say that person is the weak point. And when it, when it's like that, I tend to think that if everybody just gets on the same page, then they could come together and at least put together an average defense. One of the statistical things that I can point to is that in the bubble, the shot locations that they've been giving up, the effective field goal percentage that is supposed to come from that is about average. The Nuggets have been like way worse than that. And they've been getting some really bad luck in terms of some of the teams have run really hot against them. Michael Malone actually spoke to that today in the, like in one of his answers saying, Hey, they ran up against seven of the top seven in terms of three point percentage this year. That's nuts. I, I had had pointed to that halfway through the seeding games I tend to think that that's one of the reasons why they've really struggled so far. Now the jazz are a really tough team, but they're also going to be without Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich. So I think Denver can tighten up. I think they understand Utah's scheme. And I do think that things are going to look better when, uh, when the playoffs actually come around. Well, you know, what also always looks better. DraftKings DraftKings (laughs) sportsbook app. Like that segue there? I'm, I'm working on my segue. I, of course. <laughs> uh, so the regular season is fun, and all but one thing can compare to the excitement of basketball's playoffs, and that is having skin in the game with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Basketball has made its way through the regular season, 
Now it's time to crown a championship. And DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you in the center of the action. To celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you an amazing free bet offer. For every day that you bet at least $20 on basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook will give you $10, a $10 free bet. Head to the app right now and check out what all DraftKings has to offer. Um, I, we've discussed this on my radio show. I am not a betting person, but I do know a lot of people who have been using DraftKings and they're having a ton of fun, including my radio partner, Nate Lundy, who is having a whale of a time uh, doing these little prop bets on golf, on baseball, on uh, NHL, on, and soon-to-be baseball, basketball playoffs. I mean, what can be even better? Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code MHS when you sign up. For a limited time, all unit users can get a $10 free bet when placing a bet of $20 or more on all first-round playoff action. That is right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out by offering a $10 free bet when placing a bet of $20 on a $20 plus, excuse me, on all first round playoff action. Again, that's promo code MHS, which is Mile High Sports, obviously, MHS, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or over, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay. We are, we are through... We are through talking about the Nuggets issues. Let's talk about let's talk about where their pluses are. Um, honestly, I don't think Utah has an answer for Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I don't think they, with Conley out, who's a good defender, I don't think they have an answer for Jamal, and I don't think they have an answer for uh, Nikola Jokic. The key to me, at least from my perspective is it basically what will the, the Jazz be able to do to counter the Nuggets' big three, which is becoming a big three at this point? Um, what will they do? Because Joe Ingles, and this is something I've noticed this year, has definitely lost a step. Um, he will have his moments, but he's not quite as the, the gritty, gutty, uh, uh, or as I used to call him back in the day, lumpy gallo um, that he was back in – 2015 or so he's 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 older and he's not what he was then um and i think the nuggets can exploit that with michael porter jr when you look at this ryan and you see the nuggets matchups where do you look to see that where the nuggets can exploit and where do you think that that they can exploit those jazz weaknesses that we've seen well one of the biggest things has to, I, I'm going to start with Nikola Jokic because I think that's where everybody should start yeah. on this discussion because what Jokic does to Rudy Gobert is different than what any other center can do to Rudy Gobert. He brings him out onto the floor, away from the paint, away from the rim, and forces him to guard him in ways that Rudy just isn't very comfortable with in a lot of those cases. Because of that, the Nuggets have an opportunity on back cuts, on screening away on basically spot ups when those guys have to help in terms of giving Rudy Gobert a little bit of an extra hand with a guy like Jokic. As long as Jokic continues to be the guy that we think he can be, all of those other opportunities will pop up. The Jazz don't have another guy in their starting lineup who can offer rim protection. 
And that's great for a team like Denver, who their main offense is back cuts off of passes from their center, who's going to be defended by Rudy Gobert for most of the time. Yeah. So I look to that. I look to the various different sets that the Nuggets can run in generating easy looks and generating open shots at the rim, open threes, especially in the corner. And I think guys like Murray and Porter are going to really benefit from that as long as they continue to move, as long as they continue to not settle for various shots. I think one of the things that we've seen from Murray is that he will settle at times. Uh, Porter will settle at times when he's not feeling fully comfortable. So when you're put into that situation, I like what I see from the Nuggets and from their big three, as long as those guys continue to work for the best shot possible, because they will get it against this team. This Jazz team is not built to stop the Nuggets offensively. Yeah, I, I think uh, what I have been seeing, uh, at least from my perspective, is a, a Nuggets team that is actually, in its truest sense, built as an offensive team. Oh, yeah. And where Malone has obviously struggled is the defense. Uh, I, not to be too critical of the guy they call Moach, which I, who, who started that, by the way? Who, who started the Moach thing? Was that a Reddit thing? That Was has that to be Alec Tim, Manning? right? That has did, to be Tim. Did Tim call him Moach? Oh, man. I, don't, I think I'm so. Have to, I, it just, I've seen it around and I've never used it. But um, Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, Tim calls him Mo. It's, it's Mo. Got to coach mm. Mo. Um, okay. I, but 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 Malone, where he struggles is like, and I do know this. He he he's from the points allowed as defense kind of school, and yeah. that's very much the Jeff Van Gundy, uh, uh, Tom Thibodeau kind of kind of approach to defense. The person who runs his defense is Wes Unsell Jr. Where the Nuggets have been struggle, struggling is how to make both work at the same time because they have been at least from my view they have been struggling to have their defense work in tandem with their offense and one thing that ron adams uh golden state did so well when they came in in 2015 was say i'm going to get pressure i'm going to get out to steals where we can get above the break threes from steph curry None of these people can stop uh, our perimeter shooters. Let's heighten that. So they tailored the defense to that. Where the Nuggets have struggled is that I don't know if necessarily they work in tandem. And I think with this team and its talent, its core, absolute core is an offensive team. And that is why they get confidence from that. Their offense gives them confidence for their defense. Um, which is, I know that kills Michael Malone. I just, I could see him dying on the inside when I, when I see that. Do you think that this team going into these playoffs, specifically against Utah, can use that we're just that fucking good on, on uh, uh, offense and just be who they are? Um, I don't think that's going to be all of it. But I do think that needs to be where it starts. I think the Nuggets need to be backbreakers offensively, where they demoralize the opposing team and Rudy Gobert specifically from them doing everything in their power, everything they possibly can to get these stops and still not be able to. Yeah. The seventh time 
that Michael Porter Jr. gets a back cut for a dunker or a layup over Mike Conley or not not in this case, but Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Jordan Clarkson, guys like that. The seventh time he does that, I think that's when a guy like Rudy Gobert is going to struggle, where where he's really going to start to press a little bit. Donovan Mitchell as well. If they give the Jazz the sense that they need to match the Nuggets blow for blow, it's going to put a lot of pressure on them. Yeah, That's where I think the Nuggets have to really take it up a notch because it's in those moments where the offense is clicking that they can go one of two ways. Sometimes they will lock in defensively and start having fun and start really rolling and they go on these 15 to two runs and it makes a lot of sense. And sometimes they get lackadaisical and they like to play that shootout game and say, Hey, we're just going to, we don't really care what happens right now. We're going to start trying at the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter. And that's what leads to these shootouts that Michael Malone is very upset about. And I can, I can, uh, sympathize with them on those situations because that has to be hell when you know that your team can lock in and chooses not to. I hope that's not what they do in the playoffs. I hope they continue to establish that urgency in the first quarter, knowing that if you break a team, then you don't have to try the rest of the time. If you're up by 25 and you've broken them, then you can rest. Where I've always uh, struggled with this, and this sounds like a criticism, and I I know that there's people angrily typing uh, comments now. What Jeff hates Michael Malone. I don't know what's – okay. Uh, Okay, Uh, Ryan's laughing. I did the typing on the keyboard thing. Um, (laughs) I've seen a lot of that at Denver Steps. I don't know about you. (laughs) Jeff's such an idiot. Let me tell you. No. Um, I – my my thing is like I, I like Malone a lot. I just I just think he he gets frustrated for the wrong things. Um, the things that frustrate me on this team are the lack of rebounding at times, uh, and uh, how Jamal specifically recently how Jamal Murray kind of interferes with the Jokic uh, MPJ combination. And I guess that's another question I could ask you. How do you think that's going to work? Because I noticed in a couple of games that just they really had a hard time. And it would seem to be a lot on Jamal Murray's end, incorporating Michael Porter Jr. into the offense the same way they did before Jamal got back in the lineup and, and everything was just going to uh, Michael Porter Jr. How, can you think they can safely do that in the playoffs and work their way around some of these kinks? I think they can work around the kinks. The thing that really bothers me more than anything is when Michael Porter Jr. rotates onto the second unit and then Monte Morris and Mason Plumley do the same damn thing. Yeah. That's yeah. where it really frustrates me because so much of what Jokic and Murray have done has been really good for them. It's worked. Yeah. Their offense has, has been like, it's worked in clutch situations. It's worked throughout regular seasons. It's worked in playoffs. And so I don't necessarily blame them for defaulting to what works especially when part of that offense is having the spacing that a Michael Porter Jr. provides in a lot of those situations. They haven't always had that with Gary Harris, Will Barton, uh, Paul Millsap out there. When you throw Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter Jr., uh, I mean, not Torrey Craig, but if you throw Michael Porter Jr. and Jeremy Grant out there, I think a lot of that changes, and it makes the Murray-Jokic two-man game even better. 
So I don't necessarily blame them for going to that in a lot of cases. What I would like to see the Nuggets do is make a concerted effort to get Michael Porter Jr. going with the second unit when he rotates there. And then when he's with the first unit, he has to be the one moving. He has to be the one back cutting and, and calling his own number and saying, hey, I want to be involved with this. This has to be a part of the offense because he needs to be a big part of things in order for them to succeed. I think Jamal Murray will cede some of that control if Michael Porter Jr. continues to earn it. I think what the, what the Nuggets would like to do is have those three guys and be able to give one or two of them breaks, in-game breaks every now and then, because what, the, what Murray and Jokic consistently have to do whenever they're on the floor, they are carrying everything no matter what. I think Murray knows that. I think Jokic knows that. It's one of the reasons why Jokic starts slow, and I think Murray understands stands that as well you know I guess maybe it's because I'm too old school because my solution to a lot of the issues with uh, incorporating those three into a synergistic offensive approach would be to do the Kevin Durant approach and just give him the ball to put the ball in his hands right a lot of the Nuggets offense is just waiting for a cut to be open uh, or where they descend into dribble handoff hell is what I like to call it and then right. they do like 10 possessions in a row where it's just dribble handoff, dribble handoff, dribble handoff. I, what I want to see is do the Durant thing with uh, Michael Porter Jr. Give him the ball in space. Like he can create better than most players on this team. I mean, and I will use Jamal Murray as an example. Everything with Jamal looks like he has to go through his machinations because he's not that fast. So it is, it, it's almost laborious. Um, and someone else had made, I, I forget who I listened to. They made that same uh, analogy with Jamal where it's, it, it looks like hard almost. I, I will, I will say that in a lot of the offense that he's shown in the bubble so far, I think a lot of it is coming a little bit easier. He looks yeah. a little bit more athletic, a little bit quicker, a little bit stronger. I think that's going to help him out in a lot of those cases, but continue. Yeah. Um, I think, well, no, and that's a, an excellent point too. I, I think, putting the ball in Michael Porter Jr.'s hands a little more will be probably a better way to make this a little more smooth. Because if you, I don't, I don't want him to be waiting forever for a shot um, as Jokic and Murray do their thing. I want him to take initiative. And in fact, uh, if he grabs a rebound, push it up the floor, right? Give him that because Durant would do that. You put him in the Durant role. Obviously I'm not comparing him. There are similarities to their game, but I'm not comparing them. But I'm saying, look, give him the ball. Let him do his own thing whilst incorporating the offense here. Because I think where they struggle is that with Jokic, when he, and without their, out there without Murray, he can look for MPJ real quick. And you saw that chemistry between the two of them, even in the game against the Clippers, where they were just bang, bang, bang. They just found each other. Uh, 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 MPJ had that really great pass to Jokic oh, yeah. on the cut, which was fantastic. Murray came in again, and it, it devolved into something else, and not devolved, but it was it, the offense between became something else. Some of it is Michael Porter Jr. needs to learn how to be content with not shooting. Some of it is Michael Porter Jr. needs to take initiative and just do it himself. And I think finding that balance is going to be key. There are definitely some sets where I believe that 
Porter and Murray could switch their spots. And, and if you, if you switched places with those two, with Murray as the spacer and Porter as the, the creator and ball handler, then I think Denver could still run that two man game, but they could also involve all three of those guys in certain actions where you, you just give the defense different looks and, and you, you make it more difficult for them. I think a lot of this is on Michael Malone as well to really introduce another set, introduce another play where Porter is a creator, where Porter is somebody who you trust in those situations. Did you see the play that he had against the Lakers where he was kind of in a pseudo pick and roll with Paul Millsap and Millsap slipped the screen, Porter whipped a pass around to him and JaVale McGee fell down and Millsap Mm -hmm. got an easy bucket. Yep. Yep. That was something where it was kind of off the cuff. It wasn't necessarily something that he, he planned to do, but the opportunity opened up and he made a really nice read and made a nice pass for an open layup. And I believe that that could be a way that instead of involving Jokic and Murray in every action, that could be something that the Nuggets do where they put the ball in Porter's hands. They give the opportunity to different guys to, try to create some free baskets on, on something that the defense isn't necessarily ready for. Because against a team like the Jazz specifically, if you have Jokic as a floor spacer, Rudy Gobert can't be protecting the rim on a Porter-Millsap pick and roll. Yeah. There's no way. Like It's, it's going to involve Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles and even like Jordan Clarkson if, if you're getting frisky with it. But like there could be a lot of situations where Porter is, is – in that opportunity and they're trying to defend him and there's nobody tall enough to defend his three pointer at that point. So you give him an opportunity to create with the ball in his hands and things just open up drastically. So I do agree with you there. There needs to be some way for them to incorporate him. And I don't know if it's all on. I think a lot of it is on Malone too, to be able to instill some principles that Porter can follow. Well, it's not, for me, it's not necessarily Murray. I don't blame him for doing what he does. Um, I think it's just they're having trouble with the machinations. Um, sure, sure. And I, I think they're going to have to have worked out the kinks. Maybe use uh, MPJ in a more Scotty Pippen kind of role with, this, with the uh, second unit. Have him yeah. be the guy like Scotty Pippen was, really is the guy that's getting out there directly to the offense rather than having Mason Plumley do it all the time. How much, uh, how much of it is too much to put on Michael Porter Jr.'s plate right now as a rookie who's just being introduced into a larger role in the bubble. None of that bothers me. You put as much on the plate as you can possibly get because, you know, there's a a reason guys who are are who they are, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I would never want a guy to be babied into a, a, a tense situation. I would just want to be thrown into it. And sure. you give him as much as you think he could possibly handle. And I, I, I think that's the only way he's going to go through what is known as the steps. Because, it definitely helped with me. Well, yeah, but, but yeah, exactly. We were just talking yeah. about that at the beginning of the podcast. You know, it's like, that's the only way you're going to learn. And I would rather him learn that way than you being spoon fed because it just, it doesn't do anyone any good anyone on this team any good because you really want to do th- this bubble and we're going to talk about this in a se- in just a second um this bubble has created a everyone is equal kind of dynamic and you're not going to oracle you're not going well which doesn't exist anymore but you're not going to la and uh you're not doing the things that you're you normally would do this is a neutral site 
you're not, it's not the same thing. And what better time to introduce someone to that uh, dynamic than right now? It's possible. I, I tend to sympathize a lot with what Malone and the Nuggets have to deal with because here's this absolute weapon of a player mm-hmm. on offense who completely changes everything about your team, who completely alters the entire future and present with him out there. He made second team all bubble in his first, like this was his second to ninth game starting in his career. And he did that. I, can, I don't I don't think people can stress how insane that is yep. that a player of that caliber was doing this in his second to his ninth starting game a year after taking a year off and being kind of babied into the rotation a little bit and and being not necessarily manipulated but like have his minutes were very varied because yeah. of Denver's situation and them trying to figure things out with their group uh I tend to agree with you that introducing him and just letting him go and being the natural basketball talent that he is, is going to help this team going forward. It's going to make everything easier for everybody else. And I I think you're right about it that, Hey, you want to give him as much as you can. I can just sympathize with the decision-making process that it comes with for this basketball team that, Hey, your entire world has been flipped upside down and now it's being shaken around like a snow globe. Like, this thing is nuts. So I, mm-hmm. I, I want to give Malone a little bit of a reprieve for that. I look, I, I, they don't, I would much rather have too much talent than none. And sure. yeah. I, I, think, I think the Nuggets are in the too much talent territory right now, which is fine with me. I'm going to wrap, <laughs> I, I'm going to wrap up with this. Uh, and we can, we can do an extended discussion on this, but I'm really curious. Uh, what has really kind of uh, been intriguing to me is, and this is kind of a general NBA question, is how this bubble has affected the favorites and how right. it has brought the level of talent to a more parity kind of uh, dynamic. Um, yeah. It's really, for me, been fascinating to watch. The Bucks kind of looked meh. The, yeah. uh, uh, the the Lakers definitely looked meh, uh, celebrating a win over the the Nuggets Z team uh, in the fourth quarter was <laughs> evidence to me that they are in struggle city, right? It really was the Z team, <laughs> like like they are celebrating over Mason Plumley and Bull Bull, two centers, mind you, <laughs> two uh, centers, making yeah. a miscommunication <laughs> while defending Anthony Davis and Kyle Kuzma, a perimeter forward. So. It was it was very interesting to to watch that and the reaction after that was nuts. <laughs> oh, it was insane! And then Kyle Kuzma saying that you know he can play Jesus one on one. You know, I I I I, I, I think what a loser. <laughs> oh God! You know, I, I'm watching I'm watching this, and I'm seeing the introduction of a variable no one could ever account for, and it's been fascinating to me, absolutely fascinating. Because Portland should have lost that game yesterday. That, that Portland, Portland was on the ropes, and Carmelo Anthony stepped up big. Uh, CJ McCollum stepped up big, and that's what big players do. But Portland has looked great at times, but they've needed Herculean efforts from uh, Dame Lillard in sure. order to win. Yeah. Um, on, but how, how much would that dynamic be different if they were playing in Portland? What, how would that change things? 
And what you're seeing right now is that for me, this is just Jeff talking, the top level is being brought down because one thing I did notice is like when the Nuggets played the Clippers and they've had some issues with the way the Clippers physically guard them, I think is a good way to put it. Um, by the time Jokic and uh, Murray and MPJ were out of the game, I think it was tied. I think it was a tie game or it was clo- It was like within like three, four points, right? It was, yeah. it was, it yeah. was like close game. I think the Nuggets were ahead actually. Um, they showed that they could play with them. And I think that has also been the equalizer for the Clippers. It has been fascinating to watch. Have you noticed the same dynamic watching these uh, bubble games? when you've been, when you've been watching them. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you wouldn't have had to deal with in a regular season is the absences that some of those teams have had to go through and some of the chemistry concerns that are brought about by that, because you're playing and introducing new guys into a rotation like that. And in a regular season, in a playoffs, in a normal environment, that might be completely eradicated because at that point you're, you're not having lemon pepper Lou and Montrez Harrell. Uh, they're, they're going to be the rotation. They're going to be the two man game, no matter what for a team like that, they may still be that, but so much of that chemistry, so much of that environment that they had started to establish before the COVID shutdown, uh, it was completely different. It was a completely different environment for everybody. The Clippers looked unbeatable when the Nuggets previously played them in the regular season. Uh, Denver looked demoralized based off of the physical talent that they had and the skill level and the way that the Clippers passed the ball and created openings and shot the ball extremely well. Uh, I tend to think that Denver has evened the gap. A lot of that is the natural talent of Michael Porter Jr., but some of that is just the growth of Nikola Jokic, the growth of Jamal Murray and becoming players that you think you can rely on in those big situations, independent of a lot of the, the troubles that, that a contender could give them. I watched that game against the Clippers and thought, wow, Jamal Murray is not necessarily shooting the ball well right now from three, but he looks extremely comfortable going against Kawhi freaking Leonard. Yeah, Like he didn't turn the ball over. He was making good reads. He was making good passes. Nikola Jokic looked awesome, obviously. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., if he hits the three ball a little bit more, the Nuggets are up by 10. Yep. 10 points going into the fourth quarter when they're probably going to play those guys the rest of that time anyway. Yep. So I do think that the gap has shrunk as well. I wonder if LeBron James and the time that it took, not, not necessarily the time off, but the overall time for father time himself, has really worn on LeBron James a little bit in this situation. Uh, him bouncing back from from that is it, he doesn't look the same. He doesn't look like the same level of physicality that he had previously. It's an interesting, Giannis, it's an interesting comment. No, that's an interesting comment. I kind of want to explore that too because I had the same thought. LeBron looks just not only he physically looks old. That bald that bald spot man's getting bigger. Uh, he's kind of like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, undefeated father time is yes exactly but i kind of was and people don't want to mention this but lebron looks basketball old and how much they were relying on anthony davis was really fascinating to me and how much lebron specifically was relying on anthony davis was fascinating 
And I would not, was not expecting that. And maybe that's one of the reasons they look so discombobulated. That and you're giving heavy minutes to Alex Caruso. But uh, talk, about, talk about father time. Okay, dude, shave your head. Shave yeah. your head. Honestly, it's, it's time. <laughs> it's time. It's Shave time. your head. Um, I, I, but anyway, regardless, I, that's what it looked like to me. But it's this bubble has created something, just a unique dynamic that will never re- be repeated, I don't think. But it's a re- unique dynamic that has sufficiently parodied out everything. Um, I don't know who's going to win this thing. I, I still have my bet on the Clippers, but... I, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm wavering significantly. I think the Clippers have enough depth and star power combined to really push the envelope there. But the Nuggets might be the most challenging team for them because they have the most number of offensive options. Yeah. That could really give the Clippers trouble. You've got, the, you've got Nikola Jokic. You've got Jamal Murray. And then you've got this new introduction of Michael Porter Jr. And Jeremy Grant has been playing really well. Yes. And we, we, haven't really mentioned him. Yeah. we haven't really mentioned him a ton, but he deserves a lot of praise for stepping up. He's averaged nearly 18 points per game in the bubble, which is nuts. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I can't believe I, I, I'm, I have to apologize. I can't believe I forgot uh, Jeremy Grant, but he has been playing out of his mind, specifically in the last two days against the Clippers. We had, what, 27 points in the, against the Clippers? Yes, yeah, 25, 27, 25, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, but he like I'm, I'm going to take a victory lap on him. I'm oh. going to take a victory lap on okay. Jamal Murray, and and I'm, I feel pretty good about those things right now. Uh, that might change in in the playoff series. Don't be wrong, but uh, <laughs> but I, I do think that the Nuggets are a team that could really give that team trouble. But if they get through the Nuggets, then I think that they're going to be the NBA champs because Kawhi is very very talented. I don't think anybody on any of the other teams can stop him uh, going one on one. And I think that's just just given the amount of versatility and depth that they have, if guys come back, if they stay healthy, I think that they're going to be overwhelming for the other matchups that they get with the Lakers, with the Bucks. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. I, I don't feel very confident in that prediction, particularly because I think the Nuggets could upset the Clippers. I genuinely believe that now, yeah, just given the fact that, that the gap, like you said, the overall level of the contenders has shrunk down considerably. So we're going to see. I, I'm looking forward to it. it it's, this is one of the most exciting things that we've had to talk about in a long time. Over last year's playoffs, over the previous year's playoffs, like, yeah. like this environment has created so much entertainment that I, I, it could just be because it's been basketball withdrawal for us. But even more than that, I really do think that the excitement level for this stuff has been unbelievably high. Would you uh, advocate for a play-in game every year now? After watching that yesterday, yeah, I, th- I I would. I think that with what the Nuggets and Wolves did in Game eighty two of the seventeen eighteen season, yeah. it, it was great. It was entertaining. Uh, they like the NBA got really good TV ratings for that game, and it was just a game between the Nuggets and the Wolves. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are a lot of different things that they could do with a play in game, with a play in sequence or tournament or something of the, or other that you, you want to make things entertaining as for as long as possible. Yeah. And so much of late March, early April basketball is generally very bleh. So finding new, uh, finding new angles, finding new fresh things to introduce to a TV audience, to get them entertained and to get the players entertained 
you had everybody and their mother, including the players, talking about Damian Lillard over the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Like he's been unbelievable. And yeah. the, this race with the Suns and the the Blazers and the Spurs, even uh, the Grizzlies yesterday was it was it was good. It was yeah. very fun. It was excellent. I, I enjoyed so, it. I've enjoyed the whole thing. I've enjoyed having basketball all day obviously has been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's not, I mean, the nuggets will be playing during my radio show tomorrow, which is uh, unfortunate, but um, I, I just, it's been fun and I'm looking forward to more of it. And I'm looking forward to these playoffs and, and just how different they're going to be because uh, I think people should appreciate it because we may never see anything like this again. And uh right. Yeah, there's probably, I mean, it's not the same and there's no road games and it's going to be, obviously people are going to want to put an asterisk on it, but I think people should just appreciate these for what they are because it's great. I've definitely moved away from the asterisk discussion just because I think this is really difficult and anything that is really difficult deserves Mm -hmm. some praise. And for like, let's say the 99 Spurs that that particular season, it wasn't as difficult because they didn't play as many games. They didn't. Uh, and because they, they I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but they, they faced the 99 Knicks that year. And I don't think the Knicks were the, the strongest of competitors well, coming the, out of the East. That is the worst finals team ever was the 99 Knicks. Thing, so. Yeah. And so <laughs> it kind of, it, it just happens that way. Don't get me wrong, but like yeah. uh, it's, that's that's one of the reasons why you could put an asterisk on something. For this year, even though the competitors have been like kind of watered down a little bit, the rest of the teams have been kind of like elevated in, in my in my esteem. Like mm-hmm. the Houston Rockets are even more dangerous than I think they they probably would have been in this environment. Uh, the Nuggets are obviously more dangerous. The Raptors have shown their stripes. The Celtics have played really well. Like there are a lot of teams in both conferences who I think have really shown their stuff and will continue to show their stuff in this bubble. And whoever wins this at the end and whoever comes out of this as champions, they're, they're going to be crowned and they, they deserve it. Like this is, this is insane. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good note to end on that. That's uh, give you the last word on that, on that discussion. I agree completely. Uh, well, Ryan, thank you very much for joining me on the latest Mordcast. This is your first, uh, first CSG. And I, of course, will have you on again. We'll probably have talk again during these playoffs. So, uh, uh, I do appreciate you coming on and thank you for uh, taking the time. Jeff, I look forward to it, man. It's great. Pleasure talking to you as always. Thanks, man.